Father, we welcome you today. We ask that you would come into this place, that you would touch hearts right where they're at this morning. Father, this morning we choose to come in here and give you glory that is due to your name because you are a good God, because you are a loving God, you are a faithful God. And Father, you don't let your people down. And so, Lord, today we choose you. We choose to honor you. We choose to worship you and to give you our all. Well, good morning and welcome to Community Church. We're glad everybody's here today, your first time or your 500th time. We're excited you're in the house. So this morning, as we go back into worship, can we choose to try to put off all those things that try to come against us? And we, can we just actually say we choose you, Lord, in the midst of the good times, in the midst of the bad times, in the midst of whatever, we actually choose you because you're good. Can we do that this morning? I think we can. So, Father, this morning, we choose to honor you. We choose to worship you regardless of the state of our heart, the state of our mind. We choose to worship you because you are worthy. And, Father... We know the word says that as we draw close to you, you will draw close to us. That's your promise. So we choose you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship him this morning. Come on, let's release it with faith. Every knee will bow. I came up here because my alarm for 1021 went off. And we are praying leading up to October 21st, the federal election, where we determine who leads this nation, what value system is enshrined and becomes the foundation of everything that we we do and everything that we think. We determine that 37 or so days from now. So we say, Father, let Canada be saved. We declare that all Canada shall be saved. And this land will declare that he is Lord. He is Lord. He is Lord. Jesus is the Lord of all. And every knee will bow. And every tongue confess. And every knee will bow. And every tongue confess. And every knee will bow. Oh. Now let me just say this, and then we're going to continue with worship. Sometimes we have this idea that, yeah, one day, one day we're going to stand before the throne of God. One day we're going to all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And, and at that time... Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. Let me tell you something. It says, the Father spoke to the Son and said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. He said, listen, Jesus, you sit, and I'm going to do this. Well, how are you going to do it? I'm going to do it through the church. Ephesians 3.10. The mystery of the church. The habitation of God. The way in which the glory of God is going to be manifested on the earth. 
It says, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is going to be made known to principalities and powers. And you may think, yeah, but we're so weak and we're, we're so lacking and we've missed it in so many ways. I'm telling you, there's grace coming from heaven. There's a flow of the kingdom of God. There are secrets that are being unveiled. There are anointings. There are manifestations coming down on ordinary people. Ordinary people. You may think, well, I'm not a prophet. I'm not an apostle. I'm not the son of a prophet. But I'm telling you, there are anointings to manifest Jesus. As you walk down the street, the things that were reserved for a few 50 years ago are going to fall on the many in these days. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? That your children will prophesy? That you will prophesy? That you will lay hands on the sick and they will be healed? God, these things are beyond us in our humanity. But they are what you said you would do. So God, we believe. (sighs) You know, we stepped into a pocket. And we can go, we can do so many different things in this moment. We could go into another hour of prayer. Maybe if 20% of us could really stay in for the whole hour, but, but we could do that, and the prayer warriors would love that. We could move into ministry right now. We could, uh, we could begin to make prophetic declarations. I mean, there's so many things we can do, and the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. And so, uh, but we have some things we need to do today. And, you know, we're, we're admonished to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we're right here in this moment. We're contending for the glory of God. There are these all-encompassing prophetic words that the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. You know, words like that. Every knee will bow. Now, between here and there, there's a thousand increments of things that need to be prayed, stepped into, obeyed, for that to unfold. But over and over in Scripture, we're told to go to the last point, go to the final phase of what it's going to look like at the end. At the very end, declare that in the beginning. And I can spend a lot of time talking about why that is, and I won't. But one of, the, one of the things we're told is pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Why? Why? Now, usually when we do that, you know, then a lot of people sort of get all culturally sensitive to Jewishness. And that's not the point. It's not the point to pull up a hammock or, you know, or, or a prayer shawl. Or, that's not the point. Why do we pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Like, is this separate from what we're doing? No, no it is the fulfillment of what we're doing. Because... Let me quickly lay lay this out for you. Because the enemy hates God. Absolutely. And he, he is filled at his core. The enemy is filled at his core with hatred for God. He despises everything that God said he stands for. So God says, a marriage shall be between a man and a woman. The enemy hates that. He made them male and female. The enemy hates that. The enemy hates everything that God said. And when God said... I love my people, Israel. The enemy hates them more than any other people group on the face of the earth. 
So that means, in terms of the ones he would want to keep captive, more than every other civilization, more than any other culture, more than any other group of people or nationality, he hates the Jews. The last people he's going to give up are the Jews. If he gets backed into a corner, he's taking his prisoners, his trophies with him, and his trophies are the Jewish nation. If he can keep the Jewish nation captive, he feels like he's got one over on God. So when we're praying for the peace of Jerusalem, we're saying, Lord, let the final phase of the manifestation of the kingdom of God unfold. We're not just going to back the enemy into a corner. We're going to take every one of his captives. That's, That's what we're saying when we're saying pray for the peace of Jerusalem. If there's one city that God has said is going to be the spiritual capital, there's a heavenly Jerusalem coming down. And the natural Jerusalem represents the heavenly Jerusalem. So it's a symbol of the thing that God loves. So the enemy holds on to the things that he knows that are precious to God. That God says he has a special intention for. So we're saying today, because in two days from now there's a a political election in Israel. And there are things hanging in the balance. There are critical issues for that nation. So we're saying, we're making a declaration right now. The Lord of glory will have Jerusalem. The Prince of Peace will establish himself. He will come down on the Mount of Olives... He will have every city, every nation. He will have Jerusalem. He will have Jerusalem. The Prince of Peace will land his feet on the Mount of Olives. He will have Jerusalem. He will have the Jewish people. All Israel will be saved. The Apostle Paul said, All Israel will receive a manifestation of Jesus Christ. Yeshua will be unveiled to the nation of Israel, to the Jewish people. When we're saying your kingdom come, praying for the peace of Jerusalem is a part of that prayer. So Father, let it happen. Hallelujah. So we declare today, Lord, we know that the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord and every knee will bow because you are great. And your name that is worthy to be greatly praised, it will be praised. And everybody said, Amen. Let's welcome Pastor Mark. So uh, we got a lot of things on this morning and so um, otherwise... I would bring up the team, and not all of them are back, that was in uh, St. John with me this week. We had 13 folks from our church, I think besides myself, at the Battle for Canada. And of course, uh, Cam was with me the whole trip. We did uh, School of the Spirit in Newfoundland. And we uh, guess what I got to do? I had to lead worship for it. <laughs> so, yeah. And play the piano. So I had no musicians and no singers. So it was all me. That was, that was tough. Anyway, but then we, uh, we had a Canadian Prophetic Council meeting in Charlottetown. We met in, uh, what was the name of that room? The Carriage House. Uh, right, right, very, very close. I mean, this is the, the, the bedrock of, of a Confederation for Canada. And so we, if you looked on my Facebook post, we actually did 
a, a, a repeat or a duplicate of that first picture of the founding fathers in front of the, uh, um, the gover- governor general's home. And we stood in the same places and stood like those guys. And so there's this great photo on my Facebook page because we're there saying whatever they envisioned for Canada and the things that, you know, when Sir Leonard Tilley said, I was in my devotions this morning and I feel like, you know, this should be the dominion of Canada and this should be the theme verse from Psalm 72. You know, he shall have dominion from sea to sea. And that those words are inscribed on our parliament because Sir Leonard Tilley, in his devotions, a devout Christian, as many of them were, um, said, this, this is for the glory of God. Canada is for the glory of God. And so as a prophetic voice in Canada, we're trying, we're trying to go back to those in original intentions. What was the dream in God's heart when he foresaw and declared what Canada would be? And, and so he was calling those things from the beginning, um, which, which are not. And right now it seems like, oh, you know, we've slid from that destiny, but we haven't. We haven't. God's intention, desire, vision for this nation is uh, and has never changed, is not changed. Amen? So it was an amazing trip. Then we had the battle for Canada and St. John. And uh, I got to tell you, it was through the roof. It was, uh, it was on par with any of the significant gatherings we've had in the nation uh, that have shifted our nation in the past. And um, again, I wish, I wish we had... Uh... Anyway, there's a representation of the prophetic community in Canada there. And uh, those, these are the original fathers. As it turned out, there was 24 of them and there was 24 of us. And uh, so it's... There's a number of things that were so cool about, uh, about what happened in St. John and in Charlottetown, but, but we feel like we're walking into destiny of the kingdom of God. This convergence of, of signs and uh, indicators has just been huge. So anyway, so Father, thank you for what you're doing in Canada. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in the earth. Oh, God, we, we pray that you would awaken our hearts even more and more to the plan that you had. Lord, the things which you purposed before the foundations of the earth. Lord, you you wrote in Ephesians, according to your eternal purpose, you did such and such. Lord, we ask that you would align our strategies with your strategies according to your eternal purpose, which you purposed in Christ Jesus. And so... uh, Amen. Let there be a spirit of revelation. I want to talk about some things. I'm, I'm going to weave my way through again. As I said, I don't have a lot, a lot of time. But I want to, I want to move towards uh, talking about the body. The body. I mean, the body of Christ. I mean, you can think of it in, other, in many ways. We are the, a body here, right? We talk about that. And, you know, if you, if you want to think about it, it's, you can think about that your body is composed of, of cells, Maybe we're a cell of the greater body in that larger sense, but also, according to the metaphor that Paul was giving, we are an expression of the body. And so he writes here and, uh, in 1 Corinthians, we're, we're largely going to stay in 1 Corinthians here today, but it says in uh, chapter 12, verse 12 to 14, it says, for as, as the body is one 
and has many members, but all members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, all have been made to drink of one body, for in fact the body is not one member, but many. And so we are looking to be a fulfillment of something. When Jesus came, one of the scriptures that's written about it, I think it's in Hebrews, it's prophetically written, it's a quote from the Old Testament, but uh, it's talking about who he is as, as the head of the body. And it says, he says, a, a body you have prepared for me. And that could be taken actually both ways. It could be taken that, you know, that he came in physical form. The word of God became flesh, you know, born of a virgin. Jesus was, uh, was, was consummated by God miraculously, supernaturally in the womb of Mary. And he literally became man. He, he, he wasn't a spirit, wasn't a phantom walking around. He lived and breathed. He had flesh and blood. Thomas. So that's what Jesus said to Thomas. Look, feel my arms, feel the holes. You know, I am flesh and blood. And so there was a body that Jesus was given and he, the body of Jesus, you know, in the, in the 30 years or 33 years that he was here, he, he, did, he did the work of God. He manifested the kingdom on earth. But when he left, he wasn't being left without a body. It was just transforming. It was more, metamorphosizing, if you want, from, from one version to another version. We are the body of Christ. He said, the Bible says he is the head and we are the body. Now, my, my head can have many thoughts. But if there's a disconnect between my head and my body, none of it's going to get done. And so God is not only looking for a body, but he's looking for a body that's appropriately connected to the head. So that, you know, from, a, from the standpoint of a nervous system, that the arms do what the, body, what the mind says it should do. And not just random things, you know. You know, we don't want a, a body with uh, defects, that, you know, Tourette's and you know, words coming out of where, or, you know, cerebral palsy, where, where there's an interruption in the, in the flow of information from the head to the body. So that's what we're trying to be. We're trying to be a body. Father, I pray, God, that the mystery of the body would become so clear to us, so clear to us today, in Jesus' name. I'm going to read a couple of passages of Scripture, and I'm going to move towards something, because because I feel, and I'm, I'm kind of wafting between some of the themes that we touched at the Battle for Canada and what I feel applies to us this morning, specifically for us. But the question is, is about this. How do we be an overcoming people? How do we be the overcoming expression of what God wants? I mean, Paul was just up here talking about 5,000 youth and five, you know, and the, you know, the outcome of that, the overflow of that. I mean, we, we, I mean, our vision is to see this whole community serving God. But I've noticed a pattern, a pattern where people start to come together, they start to function together, and they start to love one another, and then something comes in. The enemy comes in, and, and, he, and he sows division, uh, and it gets broken up. And there are broken relationships, and there are broken broken families in some cases, and, and the structures are, are become broken, and people are wounded and hurting and, and run away, and scatter to the four four winds. Now this is not new. 
This is totally not new. It happened in the very first generation. I mean, in the very first church, Paul is writing in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians. Just so you know, Corinthians is all about the problems that were having, they were having in a congregation in the city of Corinth. And listen to what he says. He said, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it is... How do you do that? I mean, think, think about that. Wow. That you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. How does that match with what's being said in our culture? That you, you have your truth and you can have your truth. If this is all okay. No, there's one truth. Our, 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 our idea here and our goal and our calling is I want the truth. And the kingdom of God is built on the principle that the truth will set me free. So my whole life is I'm, I'm, I'm looking to stand the truth. Now, now, I presently believe that the truth that I, I what I think right now is, is really what is. I believe that. If I didn't believe that, I would abandon it. And I think that was, would probably be true for everyone here, right? I mean, you know, so how do we be of the same mind? Perfectly of the same mind, right? I, I see Kelsey back there. Kelsey, if we talk, there's probably a few things we disagree about. Now, you know, if we were disagreeing about our favorite colors, that's fine. If we're disagreeing about, you know, who's the better golfer, you or me, you know, I, I don't think there's any question. You're a much better golfer than me. But, but there's ways that are fundamentally critical to who we are as a people that we might disagree with in. And I, I'm not going to talk about, well, how do you, how do you come to unity? Like, how do you, do, how do you, how do you actually fix those things? Well, there, there is a way to do that, and that's not what this message is about today. But what we're starting today with is this idea, is the call to be of one mind. We have a call to be of one mind and one judgment. And so we'll talk about later about, you know, how do I know if, my, if what I'm saying is the truth? Is there any way that I can measure that against the community, against, you know, is it just whoever, is this just democratic? You know, if we all have, let's vote on what's right. No, that don't work either. Anyway, I'd love to talk about that, but I'm trying not to. But the question is, how do we, how do we get into the unity? And do we share equally right now the same passion for the truth? Or are we being swayed by the culture that says, no, it's okay, we can be different here. We can be of a different mind, a different heart. Anyway, I'm going to pull back from that because I, I could spend a lot of time there. But he, he goes on and he says this. He says, listen, this is what I want you to be, but this is, but this is the reality. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this to each of you who says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? And he goes on and he asks the question, you know, was, was, was Paul crucified for you? I believe the secret weapon of the kingdom of God is a people walking together. I believe that God is holding weaponry in his hands, ready to be poured out on a people 
this could literally change this community. I mean, you know, sometimes you might be thinking, oh, yeah, all right, okay, all right, yeah, all Canada will be saved. Good luck with that. Oh, yeah, 5,000 5, youth saved in, in Spruce Grove? Yeah, good, good luck with that. Oh, that's a nice thought. Yeah, how about her? <laughs> if we can't believe that, it's because we don't understand who God is. And, and what, we're, what we're distracted by is how imperfect we are. But I want you to know we're on a trajectory of transformation where a body is coming into increasing likeness to him And as that likeness increases, the power to be impervious to the kingdom of darkness is increasing. And so what we're we're trying to do and what, what we champion all the time is, oh God, we want the revelation of who you are because we are changed by you. And when we are changed into your image, then there's nothing in this world that can stop us. And so we're not, we're not saying, oh, you know, the world out there is so bad. No, what we're saying here is, is the key to the world being better is not the world being better, but us being more like Jesus. Right. If we as a people would be more like Jesus, our effect in transforming and changing our community would increase. So in fact, the lack of transformation in the community is, is, the, uh, is the litmus test of where we are in our transformation. So we got some work to do. But... This week, we were touched by some things. Some key transitions are coming for transformation for the body of Christ. Now, when I first became a Christian, actually, when I watched my mom's Christianity, my mom uh, was a Catholic, got born again, spirit-filled, started going into healing ministry, doing deliverance, eventually left the Catholic church, became an elder in a Pentecostal church in Cold Lake, and, uh, but not before all of her friends uh, abandoned her. And as a young man, I'm watching what is wrong with this world when people that you've known for years and years, that you've eaten in their homes, that you've had fellowship with, that you, you've walked together, that all of a sudden, I mean, they, my mom's friends wouldn't even look at her in a store. They just one day just stopped. I mean, a, a depth of division, a depth of hostility that was just evil. And they actually became a kind of a cult, that group, her friends. And I remember thinking that, like, what's wrong? What's, what's wrong? With, you know, I thought they loved each other. I thought, they were, I thought they were friends. How can this happen? And then after I became a Christian, I remember, remembering that, I thought, you know, I want, I want to be a part of a church where that never happens. You know, and I felt like that God's desire was what Paul just said, that you be of same judgment, same mind. Well, in some people's minds, that means we all, you know, let's, let's just wipe away our programming and all become, you know, little robots of one another. And that's not it either. But then I began to see the same thing happen where, you know, I, I've been in so many church situations where people get angry and offended and leave churches and hate one another and stop being Christian altogether. Many people I went to Bible school with are not even serving the Lord today. People that I, I was in prayer meetings with and, and, and praying, and we were saying, your kingdom come, and we, you know, we're, we're going to serve God. We're going to be the generation that changes the earth, we said. And so likely every one of us have seen these, these things. And it, it, really, it breaks my heart that when I look at our young people, it breaks my heart 
that the church that you have to see is so imperfect. It breaks my heart that the church that you have to grow up with is so petty and so childish and so unloving, but it's not always going to be that way. And it's going to be different because a generation, a group of people somewhere at some point in time, and I believe that I'm a part of that generation, are going to say, we will be the indivisible body that Paul is referencing when he, when he challenges the Corinthians and say, is Christ divided? Father, I pray today, and, and I, you know, I, I, I almost feel like bringing up all the young people, but I, I won't do that. Most of them are over here, so I'll keep looking over this way. There's a few scattered all around, but, but there's a better generation coming. And there are keys that you need for you to be part of that. But from my part, from my generation, I'm 57 years old, I want to say that we are sorry that we haven't done this better. We are sorry that, the, that we live as siloed families who can hardly bear to be together. And we, we have these tiny little touch points during the week because truth is we can't hardly stand one another except for, you know, for moments at a time, you know. And, and, and only in scenarios that are ideal... And then we quickly have to pull away to our own, to recoup, to gather strength, to thank you. Is there something better? Is that, is that the, is, is tolerating one another the highest virtue that the church can grab? Is, what if there was something else? What if there was a, a love that God could pour down on a people? What if, what if there was an ability to actually value one another? To, huh, to be not easily offended, to look in each other's eyes, to spend time together and, to, and just walk away. Man, it's so rich. I, I just, uh, what if we could be like those dumb commercials where, where the two teenagers in love, you know, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up, man. Right? What if, what if we were in each other's homes and enjoyed each other so much? It was just, we had to tear ourselves away rather than get me out of here. What needs to happen? And I'm not talking about any particular person. I'm talking about what is our tolerance level and what is our love level? And I, I mean, yeah, there are, there, are, there are things we have to endure. Imperfection is always something you're going to have to endure. But the thing I've discovered is that the more loving I become, the more imperfection doesn't bother me. And so it's not such a great sacrifice when you actually love. See, that's the beauty of, of young love. Young love, there's imperfections there. That's why when, it's so funny when you're talking to somebody who's in love. And there's nothing wrong with her. <laughs> Those are the fateful words I heard a friend of mine say as he was talking on the phone to his parents about his girlfriend. Okay. <laughs> Love is not naive, but it is blind. Love believes all things, hopes all things. So Paul is, is talking about, he's saying, listen, listen, listen. These, these divisions that are happening inside, inside you, the way you, you happen to be, you're siloing, you're following, you're making these columns behind specific ministry gifts. You're, you know, and, and that happens, and I know it happens. Like, some people are like, oh, you know, I really love it when this guy speaks. When this guy speaks, not so much. Uh, you know, maybe I'll just come to church when this guy speaks, and 
When other times I come, you know, and it's, it's easy to begin to have your favorites. And there's nothing wrong with having your, your lane. You know, some people really come alive when we start prophesying over the nations. Some people really come alive when we start, you know, deep worship. Oh, hallelujah, I want to get lost in deep worship. Some people, you know, prayer meeting, oh, I, I get lost in prayer meeting. Some people, it's like flipping hamburgers, yeah, man. <laughs> Gonna, yeah. Eating hamburgers. I find more people want to eat hamburgers than flip hamburgers. So, so Paul is, uh, I mean, the, all of 1 Corinthians is about this. The theme of 1 Corinthians is articulated in chapter 1. It's saying, listen, there's divisions among you. It ought not to be. He doesn't get into all the weapons, but he's saying, listen, the first level of this is stop tolerating divisions. Stop tolerating hatred. Stop tolerating enmity against your brothers and sisters. You know, and, and, and that's an important first step. I mean, it's not where, where we're going to stop, but that's an important first step. <sighs> but turn to 1 Corinthians 11. I shared this at the Battle for Canada as we were doing communion on the last morning. And there's a, there's a really huge picture about what God is doing, the body of Christ globally that, that ties into this. But but we have these, this, this uh, instruction about the Lord's Supper. And he says, uh, he says, listen, he says, your divisions are so deep, it's even manifesting in the moment when you should be celebrating your unity. If there's one place where you should be celebrating your unity is when you celebrate the Lord's Supper. But even your, your divisions are even manifesting right there. Like, you should be ashamed of yourself, is what he's saying. Shame on you, that's what he's saying, Gaelin. Yeah. Yeah, he's saying that. <laughs> so anyway, he's, he says, Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, <laughs> since you come together not for the better but for worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. This is, this is chapter 11 now in verse 18. And in part I believe it, for there also must be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore... When you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to drink in or eat in? Or do you, spies, do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. So he keeps reading and. And this is where we get the place where when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we say, here's the body and here's the blood. This is where we get that stuff from. It's right here, and it's in the middle of a rebuke. It's in the middle of a colossal rebuke. He's he's saying, saying, listen, you're supposed to be the body of Christ. So when you say this is the body and this is the blood, that represents what you're supposed to be. But you guys are the polar opposite. Now again, this has been repeated again and again and again. And we've all participated in some kind of division. So nobody here is guiltless. You know, and sometimes you say, well, I've been more a victim than a perpetrator. Okay, that's the righteousness you're going to stand on? <laughs> no, no, no. So he, he, he gives the, he said, for I received from the Lord that which I delivered to you. And so he, he goes through the, the ceremony last week, said, you know, the things that Jesus said. And I'm going to skip over that and jump to verse 27 because there's this famous set of words. Every time when I was a young Christian, I heard people talk about celebrating the Lord's Supper, and it was always, there was all these warnings with it. Like, be careful! 
Be careful. You know, make sure you're born again. Make sure you repented of all your sin before you eat the bread or drink the wine because there's some magical stuff going on there. And, and well, look, at, I'll read it. This is what it says. It says, therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of Jesus. So that's the warning right there. They're saying, well, I don't want to partake unworthily. And we thought, well, if you're not a Christian, you don't, don't eat the magic bread. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. What else goes on? He says, for this reason, many of you are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Many, some of you are dead. Some of you died. Well, I'm not sure if I want to participate in the communion then. You know, I mean, how do you know? If, you know, I'm, is this a fearful thing? Are we, you know, here we go, Lord. You know, it's kind of like, are we in the last crusade? You know, the Indiana Jones last crusade? We're going to drink from the cup? And if we chose the wrong one, we could die. Some of you don't know that movie. <laughs> but like, is this a fearful thing? Like, oh, I don't know, Lord, I repent, I repent, anything at all. I just, uh, I so, you know, I don't want to die tomorrow. But he's not talking about that kind of sinlessness. He's not talking about that. What has he been talking about the whole time? He's talking about the community, the body. He said, you're not discerning the Lord's body. It's not, it's not about how you view the bread and the wine. He's talking about how are you viewing the body. Everything that he's talked about right now is, are you honoring your brother and your sister? Are you walking in love towards your brother and your sister? Now, I... I'm not here to say, hey, uh, you know, you guys need to shape up. That's not even the, the, the heart of this. What I'm saying is we're saying, God, we need something we don't have. We need, we need a level of love we don't have. If you're caught up in legalism, when I, when I say these things, I say, oh, great, I'm not doing it good enough. But I'm saying, no, love is a commodity that comes from heaven. The Holy Spirit, the love of God shed abroad in your hearts makes you able to do this stuff. But could you imagine? I mean, is there somebody that bugs you? Somebody that annoys you? Do you get offended with people ever or always? I mean, so it happens so much. We just say, well, that's the way it is, you know. You just have to hate some people. And so those are the people you don't invite over to your house. What Paul is saying, listen, that's not an option for us. Living at a distance from one another is not an option. So what if, what if, because we, we, we declared, Spruce Grove will be a cancer-free zone. Hmm. Now let, me, let me correct something. Think, wow, okay. What you, are, are what you're saying is anybody who's sick or dies prematurely, they are the ones that are guilty? Specifically? No, Never. What I'm saying is a people, a body of people, become vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy because they're not honoring one another. Jesus dealt with that when somebody came and says, he says uh, and, he, and he said to them, he said, you know, these men on whom the Tower of Siloam fell, do you think they were worse than any other men? He's saying, listen, not all calamity is specific judgment. Do you understand what that means? So we're not saying, okay, uh, the worst perpetrators of these things are the people who are specifically sick. That's not what we're saying. But we're saying, what if there was an immunity? What if, what if a people in Spruce Grove could so love one another, so walk together, 
be so transformed that we literally become immune to anything the enemy would throw at us. That is, in fact, what God's plan is. He's just looking for somebody who's willing to go through the course. So, he finishes this by saying, For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Now, we're not doing communion today. But I believe we are moving into a quality of love. We just come away from from three days um, together in St. John with a group of people. This morning I watched Cam in the prayer room go and hug somebody and... uh, I just, you know, he, he, was, he was unusually committed to that hug. Not that he isn't usually hugging, but I, I, just, I just felt, you know, something has been opened up in our hearts this week in St. John. So, there's a commodity of affection for one another. I mean, uh, you know, as we worship together and walk together and we talked about about things. We talked about the restoration of parts of the body. We talked about apostles and prophets and the foundations. And, and at one point, we we're, were saying, listen, one of the things that the church has not done, it hasn't been willing to acknowledge apostles. It hasn't been willing to recognize prophets. What is that if it's not discerning, not discerning the body? Because here there are parts of the body that, yeah, that's illegitimate. We don't believe in that kind of thing. And, and, you know, there's no title in the Bible for intercessors, so we're not allowed to use that title. And, you know, I mean, there's... It's like this divisive, exclusion, disqualifying. So we are making a statement. Now, we will honor all the parts of the body. Well, God is saying every part of the body matters. That's the revelation that Paul, Paul had, and he was trying to give them. He said, listen, you guys are one body. When, when one part of the body hurts, they all hurt. And you think, well, yeah, but, you know, that, that gangrene is in the end of the tip of the finger, so let's just cut that part off, and then we're good. No, no, no. What, there's something about the body. When, when, there's, when there's infections in the body... It's in the body. Even if it manifests in one part of the body, it is the body that is infected. And that's why, oh, that guy's sick. I wonder what sins he did. No, no, no. We are a body. There's something about this we don't really understand fully, except that there's a people that God is raising up. There's a people that God is establishing. There's a people, I mean... I I have to tell you that there's a love. There is a love that is growing. I'm experiencing it myself. I mean, the ability to to look at people and just value them, I I could never have imagined 20 years ago. I mean, we all have sort of grid system. Well, this guy, he... He wears skinny jeans. That's that's kind of cool. I can respect that. And this guy, oh, he's a singer. He's a, yeah, and this guy, he's an athlete. And you know, so we we value people kind of a, according to this, you know, a, a list of of things that we tend to respect. What if 
What if we could set aside those lists? What if suddenly those lists didn't matter to us anymore? What if we could look at somebody and just love them? How can we reach 5,000? How, how can we reach 5,000? By loving the one that's right next to you. How close can you be without <clears throat> surfacing in your relationship? How many people can you have in the circle of intimacy? Oh, yeah, I can only have two really close friends. Everybody else I keep at a distance. Oh, I can, I'm better than you. I can have five. What if there were no walls at all? The church is, I'm, I'm going to stop right away. But the, the health of this body, it's great that we have programs. It's great that we have uh, a building, all kinds of things. But the health of this body is really, it revolves around how many people can love others. When you have home groups, it's great to have an organized group, but at the core of that, it's going to be a couple or a person that just loves others. Well, you might think, ah, I'm not there. That's okay. That's all right. Just the recognition that you are the problem, that you need more love, is where it begins. God. I'm not going to tolerate my intolerance anymore. I'm not going to tolerate my lists. I'm not going to tolerate my desire to exclude certain ones. I'm not going to tolerate trying to be the, the king of, a, of my own web world and, and keep the ones that are threatening my, my crown away and bringing in those in that I think can enhance it. That's how we change the world by judging ourselves. And why? Because there's a body. And God is saying, listen, I'm, I've got power. I've got so much glory. But I need, a, I need a structure that I can put it into that won't collapse on itself. Will you be that structure? Well, as an individual, I am that. But on the next level, we are that collectively. Jim and Gaylene, come on up here. I'm going to come between you. <laughs> if we can actually, really, in the storm, when the accusations, when the, if we can, if we can know, I am going to love my. What's wrong is that I'm annoyed at him. Now, you know, if he stole fifty dollars from me, I will talk to him about it. But usually, that's not what we're talking about. We're not actually talking about actual unrighteousness. It's like, yeah. That Jim, sometimes he's kind of a know-it-all. <laughs> I just feel like he knows so much more than me. It's humiliating. I've decided I don't like him. I want to be the knowingest guy in the room. So I'm going to exclude anybody who knows more than me from any of my, my, my circles because I want to be the knowing guy. No. I'm not going to tolerate that. I'm not going to tolerate any of the enmity that separates me from my brother and my sister. And if we can do this, then God say, okay, that thing's holding together. I'm going to up up the power. Mm -hmm. I'm going to up the power on that 
group of people because they're sticking together. They're not getting scattered to the four winds because the power will scatter you if you can't bind right. together. So God is saying, I'm not going to give you more power than you can handle. Because right. every time I up the power on a group of people, they get so full of themselves, they end up being vulnerable to the enemy and scattering to the four winds. I'm looking for a body. I badly want to pour out on unspeakable levels of glory, unspeakable levels of presence. I just can't find people that'll stick together. So we're on our way to being that kind of people. And I'm going to judge myself. And I become increasingly intolerant of the slice. Remember when Gideon was here and he says, I allowed myself, used to be, a, you know, two minutes. Now I, I, I give myself five seconds before I turn on offense. Five seconds. In other words, I'm dealing with it immediately. We need to do that.